Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 26. The ultimate addiction is to the idea of you. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Changeable. In this episode, I talk with my good friend, Phil Hughes. Phil is the author of the book, It's All in the Mind, you know, which is a book of metaphors, which is an awesome little book. It has over a hundred metaphors that all speak to, point to who we really are, how things really work. It's a really fun book. I was honored to write the foreword for it. So I really recommend checking that out. I'll link to it in the notes here. But my friend, Phil is the guy who loves pondering the really deep questions. These questions are not for everyone, but they're totally for Phil. And that makes him really fun to talk with. So questions like, who are we really? Like, is there, is there a you that exists independent of your ideas about you or your thoughts about you? So the big deep questions. And I find that every time I talk with Phil and we talk fairly regularly, or we try to anyway, sometimes about light, fun things like our kids and golf and travel, and sometimes about these deep questions, pretty much always at some point in our conversation, the deeper questions come in and we go there. I just feel like at least a tiny little shift. You know how sometimes you're around people and when you're looking in this direction with them and just by what they've seen or the questions that they ask, you feel like for me, I'll say I'll speak for myself. I feel like my aperture's open just a tiny bit more and the cracks and how things appear to be are just a little bit bigger. Like there's been a tiny little earthquake at least that's kind of shaken things up a bit. So Phil came and spoke with the the members of the little school of big change in December and it was an awesome conversation. People got so much out of it. People raved, all the students raved about it afterward. So um, I thought he'd be perfect to share with you here today. So we're going to talk about personal identities. You'll hear us talk about what our identity or lack of identity, if that's the case, means for our problems. Like who has the problem? If it's all about you, me, and we think we know who you and me are, well, then, you know, we're going to have one experience of life. But if we start to question, wait a minute, who is this I? Who is this me? Who is this you? And we really kind of look at those things. Well, who is it that has the habit? Who is it that has the addiction, that needs a change, that has a problem? So it's fascinating stuff. And I really hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Hey, Phil, welcome to Changeable. Thank you, Amy. It's great to be here. And uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's great to have you. I'm looking forward to having this conversation about our personal identities, you know, who we are, who we think we are, all that good stuff. So I'm going to look to you as kind of the the guru on this. So Phil Hughes, (laughs) tell us and all the listeners of Changeful, (laughs) who are we really? Start with the easy ones first. Yeah, let's just just ease into this. Who are we? Well, who are we really? Well, everyone... Everyone that I know has a pretty strong, strong idea of who they who they believe themselves to be. 
that usually includes roles. I'm a I'm a father. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a I'm a worker. Or I'm a footballer or, or whatever. But when you start to actually question where your identity actually comes from, really asking yourself that questions. So this idea of Phil, where does Phil actually come from? When you look back on it, it gets really hard to find that person. And I'll I'll tell you what what I mean a bit. When my mum gave birth to me many years ago, she didn't give birth to a Phil. She gave birth to a baby. Phil did not come out when I was born. The doctor and the midwife didn't go, hey, there's Phil. Hey, what Phil, that's great. Wonderful to see you. They had no idea who I was any more than I did when I was born. So at what point did Phil really come into the equation? Well, at some point, somewhere along the line, in the first couple of days, the midwife came along and said to my mum, so uh, what are you going to call this pink wriggly thing you've got here? And um, she said, well, I'm going to call it Phil. And it's only at that point that the Phil story really begins. And the Phil story is basically created from the thoughts and experiences that I have from that moment on. Now, obviously, when I'm a baby, I have no language. I've got no frame of reference. So, so it's probably important to say that language, without language, you can't have identities or anything because you haven't got words for anything. That's why when you're first born, you, you have no sense of separation. That comes in a little bit later, if, if that makes sense. As you start to learn things and as you start to grasp language, then the separation starts to kick in. And, and you divide the world, I think, into, into two things to begin with. There's me. You suddenly become aware that you've got, you've got these limbs which don't really behave all the time. And, and then there's a not me. And then you start dividing the not me into ever greater separations. So there's mum, there's dad, there's this, there's a cat, there's, you know, there's a building, there's an uncle, and it, and it goes and it goes and it goes. So you assume those things aren't you. And then you get a really, really good, strong sense of who you are. But who you are in your own mind, it's just stories that you're buying into along the way. But you don't buy into every story. Some of the stories you do... You know, when you're a kid, some kids might say mean things to you and you believe them, so you buy into that. Other other kids might say lovely things to you, but you don't buy into that, so it doesn't really become part of your story. So who you are is a complete thought creation which is just embellished every single day of your life. Okay, so two things just came up. One, what you were saying about the things we buy into and then the things we don't buy into reminds me of something we tell our son Miller all the time because he's we haven't had to say this to Willow much because she's kind of like, she doesn't really care what people think, but Miller's a little more sensitive. <laughs> so all the time he'll be like, they said this, they said that, you know, and, and we'll say, and I heard this from Wayne Dyer years ago. Well, if they called you a maple tree, would that upset you? No, I'm not a maple tree. And I say, okay, well then when they tell you that you're no good at soccer or something, you know, why does that upset you? And just just kind of easing into like, see, we take it on and we buy certain stories and other stories we just don't. So it's just kind of neat to see how practical and normal that is, you know, and how it, it goes un, unrecognized until you kind of say something or until we look at it and it's like, oh yeah, we totally buy certain things and then just dismiss others. 
What I love about what you say about that, Amy, this is all language-based, right? Dumb maple tree. Well, no one's going to take that seriously. And it, and it, and for me, it reminds me of of a really important distinction, which is there's a there's a line, there's a spectrum, if you like. What's believe you've got believable at one end and not believable at the other end. And where's the line? What point does it go from non-believable to believable? Well. In my experience, that's going to change depending on the person and depending on the moment in time. Some days you can be ultra sensitive and everything's going to get under your skin. Other days you're in a great place. You don't care what anyone does or anyone says. It just goes right over your head. They could call you a maple tree and you could stand there and pretend to be one for a week and you wouldn't care because you're just in a great place, you know? I mean, and just the fact that there is a line tells us something really important. (laughs) If there's a line and it's moving, if it's subjective at all, if that line even can just move a tiny little bit, well, then that shows us something, right? There is no no ultimate truth there if the line can move. Absolutely. How how real can the line be? Yeah. So that was the other thing I was thinking as you were um, starting to share was, you know, all, all the times that just in looking at how our thinking and our labels and language kind of create things for us, um, people will say, well, yeah, but if we have, you know, me and my 100 friends can look at the same event and say that that's bad. Like, you know, but again, I know that's like an argument. So I'm just want to put that out because maybe somebody listening is thinking that like, well, there, of course, you know, we could all agree that this is a table. I don't know. What do you say to that? If you've got a hundred friends who are all saying that something is bad, they're all going to have different experiences of that. You know, it's not a hundred. It's not a hundred copies of the exact flavor of bad. They're all going to have subtle little variations to them. And for for those hundred people, there are going to be people who aren't aren't that fussed about it. You know, there might be another hundred people in the room, fifty of whom really couldn't care less, and fifty of whom think the thing is wonderful. I mean, to take a really, you know, a controversial example, if, if, if you take your president, Donald Trump, right, there are a lot of people who think he's wonderful and there's a lot of people who, who are not so keen. But it's the same person, you know, so it can't be the person, just like it can't be the circumstance, because if it was the person or the circumstance, then everyone's reaction would be dictated by that. But the fact that everyone has has differences in the way they perceive the person or the circumstance, no matter how tiny those differences are, we all have differences. So so the question is, what causes those differences in reaction? What about though, if someone said, yeah, but so we all have different opinions of Donald Trump, but we could all look at the guy and say, that's Donald Trump. Is there a Donald Trump there? No. In one sense, there is. But if Donald Trump was, you know, kind of printed all the way through him. I don't know if you have them in America, but we have the, this really candy, which is totally destructive to teeth, which kids love, which, which is called rock. And it's made in the seaside towns in England. And so I'm from a town called Great Yarmouth. So if I buy a stick of Great Yarmouth rock and I bite into it, the words Great Yarmouth are stamped all the way through it. <laughs> so if Donald Trump was a stick of rock... <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And had Donald Trump all the way through him and announced him as Donald Trump, then everyone would know that's Donald Trump. 
But a jungle tribe in the middle of nowhere is not going to know who he is. So the only reason that you have a strong reaction to Donald Trump is when you see him, you are carrying a Donald Trump story in your head. Yeah. That's how you, otherwise you wouldn't recognize him at all. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And it's so obvious, but at the same time, something that, you know, we just miss all the time. And if we take it away from Donald Trump and toward ourselves, Mm. and we miss it even more, right? Like, it's like, no, I'm me, you know, but I mean, to to say the same thing, like, no, we we aren't me. Like, who's me? It's a collection of thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a story that you've created over time. And the funny thing is, because we tend to buy into the reality of it, and I guess this talks to the, to the change question, we feel like we've got to get in there and improve it. I mean, just say, say you're a writer and you put out this amazing novel. If people read it, they're not going to start, you know, and, and disliking it. I mean, are they really going to get in there and start rewriting the pages and tearing some out? And do- you're not going to do that any more than if you're watching a film you don't like. You're going to try and jump in the screen and, and tell the hero that the error of his ways. I mean, you just wouldn't do that. So that's what we do in our lives, right? When yeah. we, we don't like something about us, it looks like it's yeah. about us, right? And it, it is us is how it appears. Yeah. So we jump in there and we try to rearrange it all. Mm. Given that, that's just a, that the us is just a collection of thoughts, I mean... What do we do instead? Well, in order to want to change something about yourself, you have to have a reference point, right? So going back to that spectrum again, believable, not believable. This kind of falls on the the spectrum of what's good and what's bad or what I like and what I don't like. So again, you've got a line there at some point where you're like, I'm okay with me up to this point and now I think that is bad. But you can't suffer without an identity. Because if you haven't got an identity, what is there to suffer? Who is there to have a problem? You know, there has to be a kind of an anchor point. It's a bit like flying a kite in a really high wind. If no one's holding on to the kite, the kite's just going to go wherever the wind blows it. It's just that, you know, sort of like we in our lives, if you imagine the, emo- the kite is our emotions, the harder we try and control them, the harder, you know, the, the more we suffer because we're basically battling the elements and, we're, and we're, we're battling, you know, we're kind of battling nature. But if you look at where the suffering is coming from, which is basically coming from a, I believe I am this person, I believe this is right, and I'm not in this place, I am doing this, this is bad. That's where the suffering's coming from. But if you actually then just really look, well, hold on a minute. Who is, you know, sort of, who is it who is having these feelings? You know, this person, this kind of personality that we're talking about, what's the basis for that? Then you can really start to see, if you really get into it, how made up that all is. And it just causes you to pause and think, well, I don't know. It's, it's just once the, the basis for who you are gets really challenged and you realize it's a lot shakier than you might have thought, 
things that look like problems don't really look like don't look so much of pro- much like a problem anymore and because you have less problems you don't feel the I, I don't think you feel the same kind of draw to the addiction or the habit you've got because that habit or addiction is really rooted in your sense of self the story of who you are yeah yeah i mean it's essentially a solution to the problem of suffering. And you're saying suffering only happens when we are sure that we are something that we actually aren't. Yeah. Suffering is some something you don't you don't like, but going back to the spectrum again, it's like, you know, the the I don't like this or I like this. Everyone everyone's crossing point is different. Yeah. So again, that comes back to your story. At what point do you go from the I like that to I don't like that? Because I don't like that, therefore I am going to do this. Right. You know, even though we can see what we're saying, that clearly if we look at it logically and we can feel the truth and the fact that there can't possibly be a universal concrete, always there, always the same us. It has to be a collection of our thoughts and other people's thoughts about us as their version of us. Mm. How do we start to break that addiction to the attachment to us? <laughs> you know, like maybe that's that's making it sound like it's a bigger problem than it is. Like, oh, now we're all addicted to us too, in addition to everything else we're addicted to. But like, what does it look like in a life, in a normal human life, to start to really get a glimpse of this in a bigger way and kind of live from this place? To me, it's it's been very, very freeing. Because to have it called into question that who I believed I was is actually not true. And in order to find out who you are, you really need to look for what's permanent, what doesn't change. So it can't be circumstances because those change. It can't be you really because when when you think about it, your body is changing all the time. Cells die and they regenerate your heart's beating, you're breathing in and out. You know, your body can change. You know, if I, if I put on five pounds, I don't, I don't rejoice. Hey, there's more fill today. That's great. And if I lose 10, I don't like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wasting it. There's no fill at all here. This is awful. I'm losing fill. What, what I find is it's very, very freeing because it kind of feels like I am a character in a video game being played rather than it's it's not a life and death situation so much anymore i can take things less seriously i guess you could say it's the difference between playing call of duty on a playstation and actually being stationed in afghanistan if you're part of the military and you're in afghanistan there is a real risk real risk to life and limb because you are a soldier and you have an identity and you can lose your life and your identity. But when you're playing Call of Duty, sure, you want to win the game and achieve your objective, but you know that if you lose, you're perfectly fine. And once I realized that suffering is only caused by my addiction to Phil, and Phil is just a story I've been telling myself all these years, then I realized that no matter what happens to the video character called Phil, who I am at my core is perfectly okay. Okay, where's the line? 
I don't expect you to actually tell me where the line is, but I'm just, that's just an interesting <laughs> You know, it's going to move. It's going to move, right? <laughs> exactly. There is no stable line anyway. <laughs> where is the line between hearing that? Now, I hear what you just said and I feel freedom. Yeah. I feel that too. Like, oh yeah. But right. I think it's in that last little bit you just said, which now I don't remember exactly, but <laughs> having a deeper sense of connection to something. Now it's not the yeah. idea of Phil or Amy, but there is there is life there. There is connection and probably in much bigger ways than what we're used to. So there's that. Absolutely. And then I know, and I know you've heard this and I've heard this a million times, like <gasps> being a character that's just played, that sounds horrible, you know, or, or like it can throw people into this crisis of like, who am I and what's it all about? And what's the point? You know, so there's such a, there's a line there somewhere and it's between some super big extremes, you know, of like, this brings freedom and expansiveness versus fear and restriction. Like, I don't know. Yeah. What have you seen about where we fall on that? (laughs) Well, there's there's some really good news about that, right? Which is as long as you're human, you're never going to be free of those emotions. So, you know, no matter how deeply you see, see who you really are and how much of your own story is, uh, is, is made up, Part of being human is as, as long as you believe you're human, you're always going to have a story and you're always going to have some degree of belief in it. But knowing the truth of it makes, enables you to take your story, you know, your ongoing story a lot, a lot more lightly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look as serious anymore. You can, you know, you, you really are playing, a, you know, it, it's more like a game. It seems it's more like a game than it is life and death. It's more, it's less meaningful. You don't have to take things so, so personally. You're more, you're more in the moment. You see that you're more in the moment. You see that your ideas of the future are made up and you can't possibly know the truth of them. And what that does is it takes things off your mind because how much time do we all spend fretting about a future which, which may never happen? Yeah. I love it because it's really the whole point of this podcast and everything I talk about is like this ironic way that change happens. Change doesn't happen when we're trying to change us. (laughs) When everything looks real and solid and like it's only one way and then we're going to get in there with our muscles and our willpower and try to force it to be different. That's how exactly how to not change and that's how everyone's trying to change. So like change happens by nature. Change is always happening. The, the lighter things look, that's it. And so, I mean, I love this, that that's exactly where we're ending up. It's like, hey, there's no you anyway. <laughs> like, let's just question the whole thing. And what you just said is super important because you don't go through every moment of your life not thought, talking about or thinking about Phil. No one mm. does. Right? That's never, ever, ever going to happen. It's just about getting curious about what's, what's yeah. really going on. And that does everything. Well, you, you don't have to take your mood so seriously. Yeah. So I can enjoy being a complete lunatic every now and again because I, I know it's not permanent. I know it's just where I am right in this moment in time. In fact, I, I have some really funny times where I can be really into it for 10 minutes. Some, you know, my laptop's doing things it shouldn't do and someone's driving me crazy and it looks totally believable to me. But at some point, 
something's going to, you know, it, some, somewhere in my intuition, it's going to tap me on the shoulder and go, boy, you really have bought it right now. Haven't you? you really think this is a big deal? And I just kind of fall out of it. And it's not a strategy. It just kind of, it just kind of happens because you can't avoid change. And that's the great thing that a lot of people don't realize, Amy, is that check, you can't help change. Change happens. It happens from one heartbeat to the next. It, it happens from one breath to the next. But we get this idea that things are static. Like It's kind of like you believe life is a series of still photographs. You know, it's like, oh, I'm locked in that in that frame forever. That's me. But it's not. It's more the movie. It's just constantly changing. Even if from one frame to another, you can't really notice the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, to think about how often people walk around and say, oh, I don't know if I can change. I don't know if change is possible. It's like the cosmic joke. It's like, are you well, kidding me? Well, if you're walking around, you've already changed your position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what would you say is then the the way that this addiction to our identity or like, you know, just this uh, this way that we're really, really tied into who we think we are, how how is that best changeable? I mean, that's thought too, and that's always changing as we're saying on its own. Yeah. But but for somebody to have have uh, you know experience this in their life and start to feel more of that freedom that that you're talking about. Like, how would you recommend somebody go about that? I mean, I, I think most people, most people, their addictions, let's say they've got an addiction to alcohol, they're trying to, they're trying to self-medicate, right? They're trying to make themselves feel better for a condition which is thought-generated because you can't experience anything other than thought. But it doesn't look like thought to them. It looks like it's coming from, from a, a personal situation like bad marriage or it's coming from a, a problem at work. They're stressed out and, and everything. And, and really, it's because those stories that they're telling themselves, they look real. They look solid. They don't look like they're coming from thought. But when, if you can get under the hood of that and think, well, how can I be experiencing anything which isn't, you know, which, which isn't thought generated? How can I do that? How can I possibly know that? Then you kind of realize, well, I'm making it all up. You know, at some point you're going to see, okay, so it's my story. It's the story that I'm telling myself. Then you can kind of ask yourself, well, who's me? Who's this me I'm talking about? I often find myself, again, naturally, not as a strategy, but just intuitively when I am getting stressed out about something or suffering about something, the question pops up, well, who is it? Who's, who's suffering? And I'll, I'll say, you know, the next question that comes up was Phil. You know, it's sort of the, the next thing that pops into my head is Phil. And the next question that comes up, well, where, who is Phil? Show me him. You know, because again, I can't. I mean, you know who I am because you've known you've known me a long time. But if a stranger walks into my house, they have no idea who I am. You only know me because you bring the story of Phil into our meetings with you. I love it. I love like just when a when a conversation as wacky as this one <laughs> or any conversation <laughs> like just as like oh like you know there's just a nice feeling about it. I mean, I, I think yeah. it's it's a wacky conversation to most of the world, maybe not to yeah. you and I, you know, but, and we yeah. can sense, man, this is wacky stuff we're talking about. Here. Oh, totally. But it, 
but it's awesome. It feels good. So, okay. Last question, because okay. I know your blind spot. I know what you suffer most about. So has this affected how you feel about your golf game or has it not, <laughs> is it not good enough for that? <laughs> oh, that that's a, that's a nasty question. Evil person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has, it has affected it actually, but in an interesting way, I, I'm not playing as much as I used to because it doesn't look as important to me as it used to. And when I am playing, it's with more freedom. I still care, particularly when I get on a run of playing quite well, because then the non-existent Phil kicks back into gear and says, okay, yeah, we're on a roll here. We, yeah, we're, we're getting good at this thing. And I guess that's what I mean, Amy, when I say, say you know, as long as you're human, you're going to get into it. You're going to believe that things are right and things are wrong, and you're going to believe you're a person, and this is important to you, and that isn't important to you. But I think one of the things that a lot of people miss about enlightened beings such as, say, um, Jesus or the Buddha or, you know, any, any of the famed spiritual leaders over time, I really believe that their point of enlightenment, it wasn't that they, they, were, they were no longer human. It's that they recognized they were human, but it wasn't a pro- it's not a problem because they recognized the basis, you know, f- for all their suffering was the story. Yeah. And they thought, you know what? I'm human and some days I'll feel great and some days I won't. And it's all good. It's all, f- it's all perfectly fine. It's all perfectly natural. And as long as I'm human, that's the way it's going to be. But it's nothing to be afraid of because it only has the meaning that I give it. I love it. That's awesome. So much easier than trying to have the perfect golf game or be the perfect human or, you know, manipulate life in our favor. So, yeah, yeah, so much freedom. Thank you so much for being here, Phil. It's great. Great talking with you. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Changeable. Did you know that the average New Year's resolution lasts just 17 days? That's 17 days of hard work and willpower before we're left frustrated and usually more disillusioned and hopeless than before we even started. Please check out the free webinar I'm doing on why our resolutions only last two and a half weeks. It's this coming Wednesday, January 16th. You'll learn why our change attempts fail, how it's not our fault, and what we can see to make things different. You can register for the free webinar at dramyjohnson.com resolution. Hope to see you there.